0: The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.
1: Good morning, everybody. We were very fortunate yesterday um, to get Mark Pritchard from p and um, to kick things off. Um, and once we'd secured Mark... Um, we realized that we would have to work very, very hard to find somebody to lead off day two who was um, at least equally compelling um, and hopefully even more compelling. And um, the one person who um, graced this conference over the last seven years when we were doing it in Miami, um, packed out the room and really got people buzzing was Sir Martin Sorrell. Um, And so we decided we'd like to bring Sir Martin back. As many of you know, he now has a new role um, leading S4 Capital um, and building something new. Um, He has some interesting thoughts on the agency business, the holding company model, and the world situation in which we're all um, operating these days. And so let me start by inviting to the stage Sir Martin Sorrell.
0: I to to Arun, it it sounds as though you've got sort of overcome with Watergate, because (laughs) the editor of the Washington Post is now called Nixon. Not Marty Baron. So fine. So we'll we we'll Sorry. Sorry. Shall, yes. shall, shall I let Marty? Oh, know, shall I let Marty know? You're right.
1: I do okay. have I do have Watergate on my mind. Okay. All right. So. Well, I, I was really hoping that by the time we got here there would be a second impeachment that would make it all very <laughs> poetic. I don't.
0: But, I I think i can safely say that's not going to happen by this afternoon, if ever. If ever. <laughs> no. Shall we go down that track?
1: Let's let's save that. Let's save that for later. Okay.
0: We'll save that for the end.
1: Let's start with the We should just say that, uh, is this on the record or off the record? Um, There's a Facebook feed. Typi- we typically tweet it as on the record. It's going out on Facebook Live. We are on the record then. We are asking all of the people in the room to tweet fanatically so that we... Uh, you are? So, okay. Um, okay. provoke 18. So, so, we'll try and provoke. Donna has so, already
0: chipped in. For, for those of you who didn't know, so I'm sure who that you, was. I,
1: I'm sure you' will be extremely circumspect as a result, but I doubt it. anyway. let's, um, let's, let's start by addressing the events of the last year mm-hmm. um, and um, the change in your role.: Yeah, so the circumstances of your departure from WPP um, Remain for most of us, I think, a little murky. The nearest thing they remain
0: we ha- murky for me as well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the nearest thing we have to a coherent account is probably that FT article that appeared. No, that was
0: totally incoherent. In June, you know. Um, I, I, but wait a minute. Hold That was totally incoherent.
1: Okay, that was going to be my question. <laughs>
0: yeah, and and factually inaccurate. And in fact, you know that the FT uh, uh, actually apologised. Not for that article, but for a subsequent article. So I think the FT has become uh, rather sensationalist, actually, in, it, in the way that it goes about these things.
1: But does it alarm you that that's the narrative that is out there? And is there you a use the word alarm? You,
0: you use the word alarm. I don't think I'm alarmed by it. I mean, factually inaccurate, so one doesn't get alarmed by
1: that. But you'd like the opportunity to. Put a different narrative into no, the- is,
0: is, you know I've said I've told I've, you know there's a sort of um there's a test of journalistic manhood, or if it's a woman womanhood when in conversations with this, you feel you feel obliged to ask me that question, when I've answered that on many occasions. I mean the fa- the fact of the matter was there was a breach, of uh, let's say confidence or trust between myself and the board, particularly the chairman of the board, whose background is in engineering and understands very little about our industry. I actually, I actually think about maybe the best thing is that they give him the uh, wire and plastics engineering division to run. Um, but, so, so I would say that's probably at the root of the problem, as a failure to understand the nature of the business. Um, sadly. You know, what seems to be happening at WPP is it seems to be a sort of a a car crash in slow motion. More news this morning. Eight account losses in not eight days, but getting on for about 10 or 11 days, of not insignificant proportions. Uh, And I, you know, as still a major shareholder in the company, a top 10 shareholder, I think sixth or seventh largest shareholder, um, I'm extremely concerned about that. So if I'm alarmed about anything, Going back to your question, I'm alarmed about that, not about the FT. OK.
1: So that, that answer is interesting <coughs> on a couple of levels. And I, I just actually helped segue into some of the other things I wanted to talk about. So let's go that direction. Um, I, I'm, first of all, intrigued by um, you know, your characterization You're... as a chairman of, uh, as, as an engineering guy. Because, of course, when you started WVP <laughs> in 1985. It, it was an engineering business. Well, yes, but also one of the things that people in the industry said, I, I, I hate this people in the industry, like I don't want to name them, but I think we all know well, like, who some it, of the well, were. It was, He's just a numbers guy. No, he's no, an no. Accountant. Well, no. He yes, doesn't well, understand the well,
0: business. yes, I mean, in fact, you know, whilst we're sort of focused on the public relations industry, which, as you know, I think we should change the name of because I don't think that's essentially what the people in this room do or should be doing. But... Um, What's interesting about what you just said is that journalists still refer to me as an accountant, which is factually untrue. I'm not an accountant. Neither would I wish to be. That's nothing against accountants, by the way. But I'm just uh, neither would I wish to be. So you know, I would describe myself, if anything, I would describe myself as somebody who's a businessman, rather, you know, in in that context than accountant. Jeremy Bullmore, who's still, to my mind, the best writer, and I think still an advisor to WPP, who was on the board for many years, was chairman of J. Walter Thompson in the UK, Uh, I remember wrote a little piece saying that I liked to count beans, and the more beans I counted, the better it was. I I thought that was a a good way of describing it, but I'm certainly not an accountant, factually, or in the way that I go about things. And am I, am I, you going know, ask Donna and other people, am I a micromanager? Uh, yes, and I, I think micromanagement, when people say, <coughs> I'm a micromanager, <coughs> I actually regard that as being a compliment, not an insult. And I think people, and I've seen this in, on many occasions, people who ab- sort of uh, abstract themselves from the detail or extract themselves from the detail always i think suffer it's not it's not because you want to influence the detail but by knowing what's going on you can form a view as to what's happening inside the business and that is fundament, that's fundamentally important i don't believe that you can that you can run a business of the nature of wpp for example uh, or indeed s4 capital which is why i'm sitting here in dc which is on a much smaller scale uh, if you if you don't travel if it's a multinational business if it's not diverse by nature i mean it can't be a british orientated business sort of sitting in london and giving diktats as to as to what may or may may not be happening i think you have to go out and see the markets clients as well as people within the business and all the other constituents you have to operate so uh, involvement in the detail again just a to underline the point is not because you want to influence the detail it's because it gives you a very good understanding of the dynamics of the business and what's happening
1: and i think you know one of the interesting things is when when you got into the business and when um, in the pr industry peter gummer now peter chatlington was getting into the business the criticism that i heard of both of you was that bean counting notion that you were obsessed with numbers and not with creativity or Well, that's I don't know about Peter. Um, I don't know very
0: very much about the detail of of his his operations. Um, But you know that's a cheap shot, isn't it? I mean, if you if you you want to try and establish the difference, you know what's interesting about that observation is that the if you went back in time and looked at the what were considered some of some of the most creative figures in the industry not necessarily the pr industry on its own but you know the advertising and marketing services industry they made financial decisions which put their businesses which benefited themselves personally and put their businesses under very great pressure you know without without naming names, and yes. you smile no, because you know, no, you know exactly what right. I'm talking about. There are several examples of that. So the, those people who pro- professed great involvement, love, and again, it's creativity. This is a very important point. Creativity in the Don Draper sense, the mad men, mad women sense. Looking back to the 70s and 80s with, or 90s, with rose-tinted spectacles, the world has changed. And the definition of creativity is a much broader definition that might be uncomfortable for those people who come from the narrow definition. The corner offices of big advertising agencies with Ferraris, et cetera. They, again, the Draper mentality, but life has changed. And the nature of the model, I mean, all six holding companies, the the big six as some refer to it, are all going through exactly the same challenge. and they're, they're, they're responding to the say, that challenge in exactly the same way, but they're doing it basically at different speeds. That's essentially what I think is happening. And that's a very different set of circumstances to what we witnessed when you started PR week in 1985, the same year as I
1: started WPV. Um, yeah, I, I, by the way, we used to get, we used to get letters to the editor from those people every time we called PR a business. Um, insisting that it wasn't a, craft. In fact, a business, it was
0: people a, set a craft. It was so. a, Or a craft, yes, an art. And the, the answer is there's art and there's mad men and maths men. And that was something we used many, many years ago, and now people use it uh, quite glibly, uh, mad women and maths women. So it's become left brain, right brain, art and science, and it's become much more scientific. And that's what makes people uncomfortable. You know, when John Hegarty, for example, says, that he doesn't believe data data will destroy creativity or words to that effect, if that's exactly what he said, but that's what's reported often said. You know, I think that's fundamentally wrong. Data improves your ability to make intelligent, creative decisions and and go along courses and avenues that are actually much more uh, productive than you know, a strong intuitive response to an idea is always something that an agency likes. They like entrepreneurial companies. What do they mean by that? You, you go in and present the idea, and the client says, "Wonderful, let's run it." But you know, life has changed, and again, we can inform those decisions. I'm not saying data should direct uh, the 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 direction of where, where you go, but it should inform, improve, and make
1: better. Let me. Um... And this, this may annoy you a little bit. Come back to one more thing about that FT article. Yeah. Um, because... Um, the stir, it, stirrings of manhood again. You've, Yes. You've admitted, um, you've admitted to being a micromanager. Hmm. Um, are you a bully? No. Did no. anything do, in that article make you reflect on your management style? And no. No.
0: I mean, if, if, if by that do you mean do you want to win? Yes. Do I like coming second? No. Do I like losing business? No. I mean, the, the the much more interesting question is not the ones that you've you've asked, but um, <laughs> but the much more interesting question. You you can just sit up here and yeah, and I'll ask the ask questions and I'll answer. Ask
1: yourself questions. Yeah, and
0: no, the audience. We should have said we said my agreement with Paul was that we would open up not for Q and A at the end for ten minutes, but if anybody oh. wants to interrupt, apart from Donna. Um, If anybody wants to interrupt uh, and wants to ask a question, please, please, please do. The far more interesting question, Paul, is, is there anybody at WPP who's looking after, looking out for? That was what the journalist asked me. I can't remember which journalist. And I remember being a bit surprised by the, the question and then thinking about the answer and thinking about the question itself, I think that's a fundamental difference. There's a fundamental difference, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, between somebody who f- founds a business, as you know, starts it from scratch. You know, If you have no resources and you start with one person or two people in a room with nothing, you value any organization which is being built, no matter how small, or how big, or medium-sized. If you've been in a business for 150 years, or for a long period of time, you tend to diminish the importance, or you join an organization that's already established. You tend to diminish the importance of small businesses or of individuals. And I think that's the fundamental thing. And when I think about you know, it, that question about is there anybody looking out for WPP, there is a fundamental difference between founders and managers. That doesn't mean that managers are bad. But it means that their outlook, and the best way of expressing it, the one I always use, is Bill Shankly's quote. Bill Shankly was, you know, so I suppose in a way, the Vince Lombardi, or one of the Vince Lombardis of Liverpool Football Club. And he said, football is not a matter of life and death, it's more important than that. And WPP is not a matter of life and death, it's more important than that. Because when you put the first brick in the wall and you feel as though you put many bricks in the wall, not all the bricks, but you put many bricks in the wall, your, your psychological and emotional attachment to the business is far greater than any manager who's inserted to run the business or whatever, can ever feel, by, by, by definition. So they are a very different breed.
1: So I think what you've just said sort of answers my, my next question was, good. when you when, when your um, parting of the ways the WPP came along, how much consideration did you give to the idea that you might just retire to one of your many mansions, find a hobby? I
0: haven't got many uh, mansions, uh, nor no art collections, nor collections of Antique and, and cars or anything. Do you, do you sort of need a
1: chip on your shoulder to drive? Well, then, you know, that's, it, again, a
0: cheap shot. Um, <laughs> I would have expected better, but it's a cheap shot. Um, no, it's not, not, not cheap. I mean, if, 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 let me put it another way. If chip on your shoulder is desire to succeed, fine. Mea Cooper, as I say. Um, you know, it's about, about winning. I don't want to come second. You know, I I want everything we do. I want to try and execute in the most effective way. Um, That's not win at any cost, by the way. Win sensibly, but I'd I'd rather do that. And I think that's. So you know, when I when I left WPP, um, you know, people in my family or people I knew would say, you know, why don't you smell the roses, take time. Um, There was one political figure. I won't say who it was said to me, Martin, you know, they'll remember you. You don't have to, to rush in. And he said his biggest mistake when he left public office was to rush into things. And he said he was, he was in the course of trying to repair uh, the, the sort of damage that he'd done by rushing into things. But I disagree with that. You know, I wanted to get back on the horse um, as quickly as possible. And we did that. So you know the first thing we did was we, or I, that uh, that stage tried to locate a little uh, public vehicle rather like wire and plastic products um, and use that as a vehicle um, to to establish a new approach um, having thought about the new approach i mean the new approach is very and i don 't know whether mark Pritchard got into this uh, in the context of p and g which you know still is the world's probably the large the largest advertiser in the world but you know if I looked and I spent the last three or four months listening a lot to what clients were were saying, and, and it's it's a very crude mantra, but faster, better, cheaper, is is the mantra. Or put it more elegantly, faster, better, and more efficient, is is the mantra. And if I looked at WPP as I did and said, well, where are the growth areas? You know, if the 20 billion dollars of revenue, if you could dissect it where would I, I see the growth? And you know anybody in this room looked at their operations or they looked at their operations of competitive public relations companies, I think they would see the same. And there are three areas that really stick out. The first is the, the content area, which is a very broad area. I mean, a lot of what the people in this room do is around content. And it's uh, particularly of the new variety, whether that's driven by the seven sisters, as I call them. That's Google, Facebook, Amazon, uh, Apple, and Microsoft, and Tencent and Alibaba. Or if you ex- exclude the two Chinese companies, uh, you know what I call the fearsome five. Those are the, probably the strongest platforms that are driving the development of content. That's one thing. The second area is data, first-party data, because everybody's terrified, principally, by the rise of Amazon which we are just witnessing the beginnings of. You know, Amazon's advertising platform is running at about two billion a quarter, compared to, so eight billion a year, compared to Google last year at 100, probably this year 125, Facebook last year 40 billion, this year probably 50. So orders of magnitude, but I am willing to bet that Amazon will have a $100 billion advertising platform, not from the PNGs or the Unilevers or Fords, they'll go for that, but from the long tail. I mean, what people really don't understand is that Google and Facebook and Amazon are really focused on the long tail. They're not, they are interested in the big companies, but where they really penetrate, and they never give this statistic, is pr- it's probably around 70%. So 70% of the 100, 70% of the 40, 70% of what I think Amazon will end up with the 100, comes from the long tail, from the corner grocer shop, or garage, or, or florist. And so they're really focused on that. Now, Amazon is going to go head to head with Google on search. 55% of product searches in this country already come from Amazon, already. Product searches, not service searches, product searches. That's a cantar statistic, which I, which I love, to, love to quote. And then the second thing is the rise of their advertising platform. So, so content around that, first party data, because if I can control my first party data, if PNG can control its first party data, it has a weapon to, to compete with Amazon. If it can't, it loses control. So data is the second area. And then digital media planning and buying. Those are the three areas where S4 Capital focus on. So we've made our content play. We will shortly make our media planning and buying pay play. And then and, and along with first party data. And then we'll reinforce the content Um, play after that. So that's the thinking. So locate the the vehicle, which was a company called Derriston. It's now called S4 Capital. Locate our content acquisition, which was a combination, which was uh, Media Monks. Combine that with S4 Capital and inject it into Derriston. We now have a quote. We're capitalized at about $400 million. And you know it's it's the beginnings. We're in the foothills, and uh, we'll see. I, I compared it to being moving from being a peanut to a coconut. Some people have peanut allergies, as you know. <laughs> um, and I don't know what comes after a coconut. There is a thing called the coca de mer, which is a very big coconut, which is 25 kilograms. So maybe it will become a coca de mer in short, in short order.
1: So there's our headline. Martin Sorrell wants to become a very big, big coconut. coconut.
0: Yes. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> You can tweet that. Let, let's um, let, let's talk about the holding company, the the, the big six, as you say, yep. the holding companies and the holding company yep. model and the slow motion train wreck. I'm actually not sure how slow the motion is right now. Um, but um, that raises some really interesting questions to me. First of all, you know, had you had you noticed this train wreck well, um, occurring I, I, before I, I, you left? That troub- the thing
0: that troubled me, obviously, was. From about the first quarter of 2017, we saw, I mean, the the big issue that faces everybody in this room, outside it, within our industry, is top line growth. I mean, whether, you know, analysts, whether you're public or private. I mean, I don't buy, you and I were talking at breakfast about whether there's a difference between public and private. I think being private gives you more flexibility to do things. I don't think it gives you the luxury of saying, we can have lower margins. You know, when when I used to hear people say, well, the private public relations companies have it easier because they don't have the pressure of the markets. I think that's nonsense. I think anybody running a good private public relations company, for example, will, if they want to excel and if they have the best people, they can get the highest margins. I mean, interestingly, there is a direct correlation from the data that I've seen between winning awards and margins. If you plot them, you know. The best companies are up to the top right-hand side of the graph. It's those companies that get most awards, have highest margins, and there's a reason for that, because they do the best work. So this stuff about, well, you know, if I'm private, I don't have the, the margin pressure, I think is nonsense. The advantage that you have when you're private is that you can be, you can be much more, more, more flexible. But you know, turning to the six holding companies, and it, uh, I, I noticed, as I say, from the first quarter of 17 that we were starting to flatten out. Now there were two seminal events for me in 17. The first was, and I was in the Unilever House on the day that it hit, with Peter Dart, who who runs the, uh, I think he still runs the Unilever business, which was the second largest business at, uh, client business at uh, WPP. And we were sitting there, we went to see Keith Weed at 11 o'clock, I think it was February the 17th, or 13th, February the 17th, I think it was, 2017. And we were there at 11 o'clock, and we, we talked for two hours about how WPP could respond to the one billion euro ZBB program, zero-based budgeting pro- program that Accenture had sold in to Paul Pullman, Graham Pickethley, and Keith Weed, who CMO, CFO, and CEO of Unilever about reducing costs, and we were saying, you know, how we could restructure our operations, consolidate our operations with Unilever, and then at 10 past one, my phone goes off, and literally, I read to Keith Weed, Kraft Heinz bids 143 billion for Unilever. Now, that, that bit only lasted 48 hours, but it was a seminal moment because it sent a signal that if, if Unilever can be attacked, because it was a hostile, nobody was safe. So everybody, you, know, you can almost feel the tightening of the body of most of these companies. I mean, it, the, the pressure was already there, but it became very extreme. That was one thing. The second thing was the decision in November of 2017 by Rupert Murdoch to quote unquote sell his businesses. Although I have this this sort of maybe romantic notion that in a few years time uh, Rupert will emerge, Well, he is, I think he becomes the largest shareholder in Disney, but it will be a very subtle reverse uh, takeover of Disney uh, when Bob Iger has retired. And he will, the the Murdoch family Romantic will emerge.
1: Would not be the word I, well, I use for that. Again, scenario, that, that's but, the okay. difference
0: between you and me, and your view of, of Rupert and, and and his history, in my view. So that just that's another difference. Yes. Um, but I I I think um, those two things. What did that tell you? That told you that somebody who is in the traditional media business and was wrestling with the the new media implications of the traditional media business was saying, look, we just don't have the scale or the right positioning to do it, so I'm better to link, and you know, with the benefit of 2020 in hindsight, it was a brilliant move, because who would have seen the dog fight for Fox and the dog fight for Sky, and then Rupert emerges with two businesses, because you're gonna have a, a new News Corp, which will have the old Fox Sports and news assets which actually in terms of growth are very interesting assets to have so you know that's the background to to what we're going on. on the holding companies look it's it's difficult to comment it won't stop me from commenting but it's difficult to comment um, wpp is wrestling with the issues that i was wrestling with nothing has changed you know the the vml YNR thing was something that was you know i basically had, had executed or was in the process of executing as i left uh, the only difference, I would say, is I would have called it Y&R VML, because the VML people had the, the catbird seats, and why humiliate um, the, the Y&R people, if one can talk about humiliation of a merger of two companies within one group, but if, you know, you, you portray it as such, as a sort of merger, and you, you commented on, on it, so I would have called it Y&R VML to maintain you know, to be magnanimous, because the VML people were in control. The only thing I would, um, the only difference,
1: I mean... In the same way that Donna allowed Burson's name to come first, even. Yeah, I think
0: that's, you know, w- with all due respect to her, I think that's the right thing. I think you have to be magnanimous in these, these situations, because otherwise, you're faced with an exodus of people you don't want to go. There may be some people that you think it is time to move on. But basically, I think, to be frank, if you want to keep people motivated, that's a really important balance. And you know, I was in Argentina when the, Y&R, the VML Y&R thing was announced. And a lot of people in Argentina said, who the hell is VML? You know, Kansas City based digital company, young as it's known in Argentina, has a very, very strong historic reputation. And I went to Brazil the following day. There was the same reaction. So you have to be very careful about how you do things. The, the, the strategy of WPP is to move to one firm, but over a longer period of time, and that's that's the rub, really. How fast do you go? You know, you've had John Seaford here. Uh, I don't know what John presented, but you know, John, I think he's doing the right thing. He's trying to create one brand. In a way, it's a mini version of what should be done. At WPP. The question is about execution. As you, as you collapse these functions into one, or as you collapse these brands into one, problems emerge. You know, Take the, the third largest company, Publicis. I think by naming everything Publicis that's advertising, you've lost, well, you, you have lost the Saatchi brand. You've lost the Burnett brand, the value. You've lost the BBH brand. They've disappeared, basically. And it's all called Publicis. Now, that might be best in the long term. But in the short term, it causes a bit like Brexit. In the short term, it causes tremendous disruption. Same thing on the digital side. You call everything sapient. What's happening? Digitas? Gone. LBI? Gone. Rosetta? Gone. Razorfish? Gone. I mean, they've all been sort of obliterated. Again, in the long term, that might be the best thing. But there's a lot of short term pain. Omnicom which actually market cap surpassed WPP last week um, for the first time, I think, for about 15 or 20 years. Um, Omnicom has no strategy at all. It doesn't have a strategic bone in its body, but, but it has very good companies, very good companies. So its challenge is how does it pull it together? And they may be right, but they're also moving to being one firm, just like Publicis has the best strategy, in my view. But the execution is too quick. IPG doing very well. You and I, would, again, were talking about that over breakfast. And five or 10 years ago, we would have said IPG was in great difficulty. But you know, there's, there, there are cycles here at work. And it's probably in the strongest position. Why they then go out and buy a, a data business for $2 billion and leave the what is arguably the most exciting piece behind is another story. But maybe. You know, maybe Amex, maybe the reason Amex moved their business from Mindshare to IPG was because of Axiom. I don't know. I I just think they're also moving to one firm, but it's taking them a little bit longer. Their advantage may be that McCann is such a strong component of IPG. Havas has got lost inside Vivendi, um, and I think that's another story. I actually think the model with Havas and Vivendi, which is a sort of media-driven model is really interesting. I mean, in the digital space, to have a media owner very closely connected by ownership with an agency is a very different model, potential, obviously, for conflicts of interest, but actually is quite an interesting model. And the last one, Dentsu, deliberately kept it to the end because I think, actually, of the six, it's the best positioned. It has the strong media history. It has a very strong data capability with Merkel. And it has a very strong digital capability. So the three areas that it's in, and I'm talking my own book in relation to S4 Capital, it's true, are the areas where I think there are the greatest growth. The big problem at Densu is the gaijin Japanese issue. And for the first time this year, Dentsu's revenues, not profits, revenues from outside Japan will be greater than Japanese revenues. So maybe the best thing they do is to appoint a
1: gaijin to run the company. It sounds as though, um, actually, two things. First of all, it sounds as though this is a good time to be starting with a blank piece of paper, um, rather than with all of that sort of legacy structure and branding um, yeah, that, think... that the holding companies have. Um, but it also sounds like the window of opportunity is narrow, that, that you need to be quick. Well, I think, I, I, I think a couple things. The good news is a clean sheet
0: of paper. The bad news is a clean sheet of paper. I mean, if you said to me, Another good question you, asked, you could ask me, which you didn't ask me, was, yeah, what, do, "What do I miss? Uh, I miss scale, and um, I've always been intrigued by scale. So, you know, we, that doesn't mean that you can't get scale, and you know, hopefully we will get scale. But it means that, you know, for the, at least for the moment, you don't have it. Um, but the other side is, you, you don't have the ball and chain. You don't have this." legacy structure weighing you down. Everybody who runs a legacy business has that problem. You're trying to change the engines on the airplane while you're flying the aircraft. It is an immensely difficult thing to do. And I've got a great respect for those people who are trying to do it, but there are very few people who've managed to do it. I mean, it's much easier to start with a fresh sheet of paper. You can still screw it up, but it is much easier to start from there with none of the, the anchors, the weights from the past. You know, the, the decisions that perhaps you didn't make, there may be some decisions you did make, but some of the decisions you didn't make and being weighed down by that. Now, the need to be quick, it comes back to faster, better, cheaper. That is absolutely key. I mean, every client I talk to, and if you use that phrase, it's like turning the light switch on. You know, in, in, a, in a 24-7, always on world, dealing with all the stakeholders, all the communities we have to deal with, being faster, being more responsive, being better in terms of quality, and being more efficient or cheaper is absolutely critical. And the world has changed. I mean, you know, moving to a more macro point of view, post-Layman, which is now 10 years ago, the world was growing at a, is growing at a slower pace, basically, nominal GDP. There is less inflation. Inflation is out of the system still. I mean, the Fed is worried about it. Obviously, it's the reason why it's raising interest rates. But it's pretty much on CNBC this morning, they were saying, looking at the spot steel market, steel prices in the last three or four months are down on where they were before. And so that indicates, you know, that world demand, and you've seen the stock markets wobble a bit in the last few days because people are worried about world world demand and where it's going. So there is this sort of big issue about about growth and inflation. But in any event, very little inflation to date, very little pricing power for clients, and therefore they're very focused on cost. So being efficient, So I I don't know whether Mark mentioned in his speech yesterday, uh, it was, again, a climactic event when P&G said to Omnicom, Publicis, and WPP, we want you to work together in London and Cincinnati in our business. Or Renault-Nissan a couple of weeks ago said to Publicis and Omnicom, you work for us, work together. So what the clients are saying is we pay your bills. You bloody well work out how you're gonna work together to our benefit. So don't you fight with one another. I think Renault are putting together a group of about 10 or 12 people to try and manage these two
1: holding companies and bring them together. Okay, so we have an audience uh, made up almost entirely of public relations people. So let's talk a little bit about how public relations fits into this world. We heard from Mark yesterday that this was sort of PR's moment to shine. John Seifert talked a lot about an earned first world. Um, There are several things that have happened over the last few years um, in terms of the efficacy of advertising. Um, and the ability of PR to to amplify advertising that mean that this should be a good time for our industry. Um, You are more cynical, skeptical about what we're doing. You think we don't even have the right name. I'm not
0: cynical. I think we could could call it something better. I I profess not to know what you should call it, but it seems to me that you do something different. Uh, And if I look at the, you know, my experience of public relations in the context of operations that we had at WPP, whether it be Burson, Conan Wolf now, or Conan Wolf and Burson and Hill and Knowlton, and then let's call them the smaller firms like a Finsbury or a Herring-Schupner or Glover Park who've come together, or or, or an SJR, which was part of H&K, but for for some reason that defeats me, they're now sort of splitting it apart, which to my mind makes no sense. But anyway. when you look, actually, SGR is a good example of it. You know that if you said to me, "Where's the growth coming from?" It's sort of focus on certain sectors. So you look at Conan Wolf, consumer, healthcare, focus. Um, obviously, it has a lot to do with leadership um, and the character of the management of each of the, the businesses. But you know, the bigger businesses at, at WPP found it much harder. Burson and, and uh, Hill and Knowlton found it much harder, maybe because of their size, maybe because of their far-flung nature. So you had you know, lots of balls in the air, and maybe you had too many balls. Maybe it was too far-flung, you can make that argument. And of course, the ability to bring it back to a, a sort of stronger core is limited because of the cost. Whether you're public or private, by the way, private probably is a little bit easier. But there's still a cash cost to doing that, which can be quite prohibitive. But the interesting thing was, from my experience, was that the smaller firms and the medium-sized firms, and that's the law of big numbers to some extent, uh, found it easier to expand their operations. Now, why, why, why was it? Well, I think there are two things that were going on that always struck me as being really important. Firstly, the rise of new media, you know, of the, the fearsome five, let's call it, or the Seven Sisters then secondly there was the growing importance of data that data could inform public relations decisions in a much more effective way there's a third thing as well when you think about faster better cheaper and you think about public relations budgets as opposed to advertising budgets it tells you a lot i mean actually public relations firms tended to be faster not all but you know crisis firms healthcare firms consumer firms tended to be faster they tended to be, you know, have very good people. The, the better the people, the better they were. And they tended to be more efficient, cheaper. So I think that's another reason why the sort of the microscope on public relations budgets was not as great as it was on our budgets. I always remember clients would say to me, you're our biggest supplier. And I would say, I wish I was. And we would then, we would get to the, the in their supply figures that they were given, the CEO was given, or the CMO, they included media billings. And of course, you know, the, true, the true billings number at WPP was about 72 billion. The revenue number was 20, but the, the actual throughput inside the business was 72. So they were looking at the 72, not the 20. Uh, and of course, it was passed through, because it was money that they paid us to pay the media. So, so I think PR has benefited from the fact that it wasn't such so, so far up the procurement focus or ladder that, that the thing they turned to first was the media area and the media agencies and the advertising agencies where the bigger budgets were. Now people in PR might complain about that, but actually that's probably proven to be an advantage.
1: But you mentioned awards earlier, for example, and it's, it's something that I think frustrates a lot of us, that the PR awards at Cannes are still being won predominantly by advertising agencies and not by PR agencies. Have we missed something? Is that no, a I, word? I
0: think I think, you know, I, I spoke to John O'Keefe about this, you know, we won the awards uh, what seven years in a row. And look, there is a technique. Okay. There is a the advertising agencies are just much more practiced in the technique of submitting awards, particularly for Cannes. So my advice to anybody in this room is you know, engage with somebody you know who's had success at Cannes. Uh, and you know, Media Monks, for example, for its size, uh, we haven't done a size comparison, has done absolutely brilliantly at Cannes consistently over many years. The reason is that they do pretty electrifying content Not pretty electrifying, they electrifying content. They use new technologies. They're not dependent, they're not an ad tech company which is dependent on one technology or another. They just grab the best technology at the time to do the best job. So it's really, I I think it's because of the way that the public relations, or design agencies. I mean, design agencies even worse. The number of times that our branding and identity people would say to me, we didn't do as well as can, at Cannes, for example, as we should have done. And it, the agencies, the advertising agencies, one, they will. well, what is the question about how you put it in and how you present it. Because you've got these people sitting in windowless bunkers like this for five days looking at award entries and their, their, their minds are uh, uh, numbed. So if you come up with a, a resting way of presenting your candidacy or your entry, you're bound to do better.
1: So one of the things that, that I've always found interesting when you spoke at events was that almost uniquely among your peer set, um, as it were, you um, you have this ability to look at sort of the geopolitical situation Probably wrongly, but and, um And extrapolate from that mm. how it's going to impact our business, mm. the, broadly our mm. business. Um, and there were a bunch of things that I wanted to touch on that I'm not going to have time to ask you about all of them, uh, if we're going to have some robust Q and A, but there are a couple of things that that I'd like to touch on. Sure. First of all, um, we talked a lot yesterday at various sessions about um, fake news and sort of the companion to that, um, concerted efforts to delegitimize real news. Mm. Um, how worried should we be about that? Is there an obvious solution to that? Is it going to start impacting brands and well, I think the already, way they invest?
0: It already has impacted brands. Whether it's invested, uh, whether it's affected the way they invest, I think is another interesting question. Going into the third quarter, and I don't think we've seen the, the critical third quarter results yet uh, that will determine this. I see no change in great change in pattern. Maybe Mark said something about it yesterday. But I don't see, I don't see uh, obviously Facebook has been in the teeth or, or in the center of the storm, um, uh, whether it be fake news, influence on the elections, data issues, breaches, whatever it happens to be. Uh, and we're yet to see, but certainly there seems to be been some impact on Facebook usage, engagement statistics. Now whether that has transmitted to ad revenues, because Facebook You know, people, most people don't think that Facebook, don't know that Facebook owns Instagram. So, you know, we have to see yet. My my instinct is there won't be a significant impact, certainly not on Google, uh, and certainly not on Amazon. Now, Amazon crossed one trillion. I think it's back under one trillion. Apple is still over one trillion. Uh, Just to remind you, nation states, So the biggest nation state is the US, around 20 trillion. China's around 11 or 12. Japan's, I think, about six or seven. Uh, Germany's about four and a half, five. And the other big four, UK, France, Italy, and Spain, are sort of two and a half, three and a half. Apple and and, uh, Amazon are sort of getting into nation state territory. Uh, to the extent that Lloyd Blank, find, when asked who will be the, the, uh, the first $2 trillion company, he said, I doubt whether there will be anyone because no nation state would let a company like that uh, get to that stage, which I think is the issue, by the way. I think regulation is the only thing that's going to stop these companies. They are so entrenched and they are so strong. And you know, the interesting thing is that they steadfastly refuse to admit their media companies. You know, we've been saying, my very first canned debate, which is six or seven years ago, we had Nikesh Arora from Google. Uh, You know, first question, Microsoft was there, and Facebook and others, and Yahoo, and I said, the first question was, playing your role, you know, are you a a tech company or a media company? Everybody said that we're a tech company. They sell inventory just like any other media company. And these are really, Powerful, powerful companies. So it's already affected people's thinking. Uh, to the extent, I think the most remarkable thing is that we move to a total, a total opt-in environment. I mean, I have never refused. You know, when I get ex- agree or don't agree, I've never refused. And the, the, the truth of the matter is, the consumers only get upset when they're hacked. They don't get upset during through the process. Now, if they get hacked. They may alter their attitude to accepting or not. So, what we have to do as an industry is to, to to simplify the language, not have these sort of turgid agreements. Just have one page, very simply explaining to the consumer what he or she is letting themselves into by agreeing to let cookies crawl the the, the sites or whatever it happens to be, and and get on with it that way. That's that's my view on it. The 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 downside is, and certainly in Europe, and I think. Tim Cook this morning, if I'm not mistaken, was talking about how attitudes were changing in the U.S. to regulation. I see tremendous efforts by European governments to regulate. And that's where the rubber's gonna hit the road. Now, very interesting thing in relation to Brexit. UK, to my mind, if if we come out, which we will come out, I think, subject to the, the low probability of a second referendum, But when we come out, what is the government gonna do? It's the Singaporean model, to my mind, is the ideal model. So low tax, and really interestingly, differential regulation. So one of the things you can do with the UK, if it's out of the EU, is to offer a different regulatory environment for companies, not just tax. So I actually think that's, you know, whilst I 'm against Brexit, I'm vigorously a supporter of remain, if we do have to come out, which it looks like we will have to either with no deal or with some deal that keeps us in the customs union, just to illustrate the difficulties of this right so let's say that we do know that Theresa May does her checkers agreement means that we, we go into a customs union. Uh, The Americans will not sign a free trade agreement with the UK if they're a member of the customs union. So no free trade agreement under a Trump administration. So assuming Trump gets re-elected, which I think he will do, and we have another six years or four and a half, five and a half years, whatever it is, then for five and a half years we won't, depending on what happens with the next administration. Then the real rub is, the Americans have said, even if we did have an agreement with you, there will be a clause in it that you couldn't have a free trade agreement with the Chinese. So what the hell do you do? I mean, it's a real pigs pigs muddle, really. I mean, it's it's a terrible position to be in because you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. It's a
1: really difficult situation. So, last question. Um, we've, you know global um, economy-wise, been in a period of fairly decent growth the last few years. Um, There are a number of things that are going on in the world um, that some people worry about. Brexit is one of them, Saudi rising nationalism in Europe and Latin America, Trumpism in general, and um, trade with China, Um, all of these potential obstacles coming up. Does your prediction that Trump will be with us for another six years mean that you don't think any of those is going to knock us off course in the next couple of years? Well,
0: so so I'm on the business council, the U.S. Business Council, and we had our meeting in in Detroit um, 10 days ago, 14 days ago, and the remarkable thing was the prediction so this is the sort of top 120 CEOs. They let some foreigners in, but, but basically it's US CEOs, big American businesses, P&G, and everybody else. David Taylor was there anyway. So they, are, they ask for the prediction of the US GDP. And usually, the business council, well, not usually. It's been consistently the best predictor. Because they're you know, conservative in their predictions. So they usually start off at one, but the beginning of the year 1%. Goldman and the IMF are at 2 and they inch up as they go through the year. And they get it right more times than the others do. So in Detroit, the amazing thing was that they were forecasting US GDP growth at 3.7%. And I think it was for three years. To my mind, that sort of indicated almost the the euphoria around business and Trump. I mean, whatever you think of Trump, uh, from a sort of personal point of view, the fact of the matter is he's cut taxes. As Warren Buffett pointed out, it's 40%. After tax profits of US corporations increased by 40% because of the reduction in tax rate. Regulation reduced. I think it's more because people haven't been appointed so there are less bureaucrats to pass regulation than there is, you know, the fact that there's a, anyway, less regulation. And the third thing coming down the pike is infrastructure spending. So that which will be stimulative as as well. Now, the big issue to my mind is how long does this last? And I think, and this ties into S4 Capital, the big six and everything, I, I think that at some point in time between now and the general election, there will be a crack, a market crack. You, know, you don't have to be a genius to figure that one out. We've had 10 years of um, rising stock markets pretty much since Lehman. So that has to end at some point in time, and there has to be a crack and a, a correction. And when the tide goes out, all boats are exposed and comes back to the big six. So, so any structural weaknesses in these businesses, whatever they may be, Will be cruelly exposed when that happens, and I think that that will be. You know, and you know, some people will say, "Well, he's talking his own book," and that, to some extent, that is true. I mean, I'd like to get S4 Capital to the stage. You know, we've we've done our first thing, and uh, we'll do a, a, another couple of things quite quickly, and then I'd like to sort of sit and watch what happens. You know, the the Italians have a wonderful. Uh, Proverb or saying which says, you know, you sit on the river bank and watch the dead bodies go down the river.
1: That's 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 what I'd like to do. <laughs> I, yeah, okay, that's um, that's a good good finishing line. I think. <laughs> um, okay, um, let me open it up to the audience. Um, hopefully you can ask Martin the questions he wanted there's to Somebody be asked. over there on the left uh, with a waving hand. Yeah. There's a...
0: Hi, uh, Ray Eglinton with Four Communications Group. Um, thank you for a really excellent session. Um, one comment and one question. The comment, as a business founder, I thought you explained the owner-manager emotions um, really wonderfully. The, the question, right at the beginning, you said... Um, you didn't think we should be describing ourselves as public relations, or that the, the way that we describe ourselves as an in industry. And I'd, I'd like to understand a bit more. How would you well, describe what we do, and how do we position ourselves functionally within? Yeah, you know what the whole wider industry is doing. Within the industry, or holding companies, or both. Within within the industry, as an yeah. independent, I'm less well, about you know, holding listen, companies. Listen, you know, at the end of the day, uh, and you know, I was watching. Netflix or listening to Netflix, you know, raising debt to expand their production budget. I mean, I went and saw a film. (laughs) It was the the BFI's um, uh, film festival in the UK, and there was a uh, uh, a film called Outlaw King, uh, which which stars an American actor, Chris Pine, as Robert the Bruce. I mean, it it was a little bit incongruous. You know, I, I looked at it and I, was, I thought I saw Baywatch. I was watching Mel Gibson Baywatch.
1: Mel well,
0: yeah, yeah, well, Mel Gibson. Yeah, of- yeah, but w- as William Wallace and Mel Gibson. I mean, why does an American play a Scots hero? It just seems to me, despite <laughs> whether they have good Scottish accents or not, it just seems incongruous. Um, um, I just looked at Chris Pine and thought David Hasselblad and, and Pamela Anderson and Baywatch. Anyway, that's just, ju- just me. But the point of the story is... We, we, we see the f- the, we're see we sitting and it's an IMAX cinema. And what's the first thing that comes up on the screen? The big N. It's a Netflix film. And it'll be available on Netflix in about two weeks' time. Um, great battle ske- scenes if you like them, but it was, the film is one long battle scene, basically. And it was a bit too much for me, for me and I think for a number of others in the, in the cinema. But the point of the story is it's about content. And if you actually said to me, what do I think about PR companies, increasingly they're becoming content makers or producers? And in a socially social media dominated world, a 24-7 world where there is a need for continuous content, where it isn't, you know, how many times when, when when Paul asked me, in my last year at WPP, and the number of times I heard somebody say, I'll use Ogilvy or Thompson or y R or Gray for the big events or the big things. But I want to use uh, different, smaller, faster, more responsive com- companies for the stuff in between, the big, the big events. You know, the, the frustration. So one client who had given us not given us, when I was at WPP had given us or awarded us the media budget, big media budget in the UK, said to me, he said, Martin, I said, what's wrong? And he's, he's CEO of a public company now. I said, what's wrong? He said, the big agencies the clients aren't happy with. They're too cumbersome, you brief, you rebrief, it takes months for you know an answer, the creative departments are, are slow. The second thing he said was, the agencies don't understand data. They talk about data, but they don't understand. They don't know what they're talking about. And the third thing he said was fly economy. He said you know your two uh, agencies are too expensive. They have to cut their costs. You know it's 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 a good idea to concentrate into one building, but be careful where you put that building. Don't put it in the city center. Put it in the up-and-coming area or the area which is uh, more effective. He also said, very interestingly, and this is what clients don't say, and this gets into much more controversial territory, he said the clients have not changed their structure. The clients say agencies should change their structure, but it's no good the agency changing its structure and then having to deal with the client organized in the same way. So when we were in with Unilever, for example, on that fateful day, If you analyze the work that WPP did for Unilever, they did it in three centers. They did it in Jakarta, in Singapore, and London. And if you co-located your resources that you have, and you co-located with Unilever in those three areas, you'd have a much stronger, more nimble, more agile sort of response. So when I think about you, and the, think of your you know, it may sound like apple pie and Motherhood, but I, I do think you should think about yourself as being content creators. do not sorry, sorry. Don't, don't go along this thing about. You keep on hearing about, we've got to become like advertising agencies. I mean, you're, you're saying you want to become like advertising agencies precisely at precisely the time the advertising agencies don't want to be called advertising agencies. I mean, that's, the, that's the strange thing that's going on. So,
1: but, but isn't I mean, isn't everybody a content creator? Advertising agency. Yeah, but I don't think creators, I don't think that the PR industry, firms I
0: don't think the PR industry has seen themselves as being doing that. And I think, you know, it, it, or, or maybe we should be even more precise: digital content creators, because hmm. that, that 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 conates or connotes a a different approach structurally to, to to the to what's going on. One more question. Donna.
1: Well, there's a lady
0: behind you, Donna. We'll come back to you
1: after the lady
0: behind you. We'll definitely come back to you. You have the last word, as usual.
1: Kathy Baird from Ogilvy. I apologize. This is a tangent. Sir Martin, on the cover of your S4 perspective is yeah. a photo from Burning Man, right. which I myself attend as well. Right. Curious to know how that's influenced you in your leadership style and in your vision for what you want to create. Sorry, uh, when you say of, as well, did, 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 did you run
0: into Martin at not, Burning Man? No, no, there, was, uh, no there were, there were 79,999 yes. other people. So. But I
1: do know, I have, I have known that you have attended, and I'm curious yeah. to know how that's influenced. Oh, well, business. I just think the
0: really interesting. The reason I stuck it on the cover was, and, and I had to get permission to do so, um, which was not easily forthcoming. Um, The reason it was creative destruction, I mean, for those of you who don't know, um, what happens at Burning Man is 80,000 people get together in in the desert near Reno, uh, a place called Black Rock City. Uh, The land is uh, hired from the Bureau of Land Management uh, every year. Uh, Larry Harvey, the founder, died. He started in 1985 on a beach, I think in L.A. Um, and then the event got bigger, and they moved it to the, these sacred Indian lands uh, uh, in the desert, on the, on the playa. Uh, but 80,000 people now get together uh, for a week. They set up the city for a week or two previously. Um, there's a temple that gets built every year, uh, which this year was absolutely extraordinary. I mean, every year is extraordinary. This is a wooden structure, enormous wooden structure, apart from the Burning Man, which this year was a, a particularly intricate Burning Man, because surrounding the Burning Man were a series of tableaus. And on the Saturday night, the man gets burnt. And on the Sunday night, the temple gets burnt. There are a number of other burnings of other, uh, other exhibits. Um, it, it, it's a cross between sort of, sort of Mad Max, Burning Man, uh, it's um, Mad Max, the World Economic Forum, uh, Disneyland. I mean, it, there's, it has many things. But it's really interesting, because every year, they destroy everything. The motto of the place is leave no trace. Uh, and and 80,000 people do live with that. So there is no garbage. Everybody tidies up and leaves the place in pristine condition, which is quite extraordinary. Um, it does have a reputation for other things. Um, but the, the the thing I'm really intrigued, and I think it does have a metaphor, it's a metaphor for our industry, is creative destruction. That every year they destroy everything, they take everything down, and they come back. It's a bit like, those of you who've been to Carnival will know, the, the 12 Samba schools, the Escala de Samba,
1: um,
0: the moment that the procession has finished, uh, through now through the Samba drone in Rio. The costumes are being made for next year. So everybody's sewing sequins in the Samba schools on, on uniforms and, and whatever. So the preparation takes about a year. So the art cars at, at uh, Burning Man are starting to be built or being put into a garage and rebuilt. It's a, quite an extraordinary process. Of construction and destruction in a very short period of time, and I think that's the metaphor that
1: works. Last word, Donna. Donna, quick question, and if we can do a quick answer as well, that'd be great. This is on. um, Very quick question, and if there's no time for answer, I could just say the question, and and you'll know what my opinion is. But um, uh oh, Uh, trouble trouble's coming. On publicists. Yeah. um, This is not an offense to anyone. A publicist, I think there's great talent and great brands at publicists. I don't think it's a matter of execution. I think the strategy's wrong. I don't believe there should be one one holding company. I don't think WPP should go to market as WPP. Uh, Clients like, you know, there's conflicts. And there's different approaches. And you can't, you know, if you make everything one, how are you going to satisfy all the different clients?
0: Okay, Well, I think it's an important question and one that can't be a brief answer, but let me try and answer it. pull or drag me off the stage, but it is an important thing. I, I, I fundamentally believe you have to have one firm. And the thing that bedevils our industry from our point of view, not from the client's point of view, I'll come back to the client in a second, is that we get, Donna gets up in the morning because she's Conan Wolf, now and Conan Wolf. That motivates her and the people around her. What she, She's right about the conflict. The difference between JWT, Ogilvy, Y and Iron Gray, there isn't a difference. The people who run it will say they're different, but there isn't a difference. There is a difference only, in my mind, because of conflict. And if I look at the media agencies, you know, essence is different. Christian does a brilliant job. Christian Jewell, who runs Essence, does a brilliant job on differentiating essence. Zax's is different because it's programmatic, but there's no fundamental difference. The people running these three agencies will hate me for saying it, but there isn't. and They know it. Mindshare, MediaCom, and WaveMaker are not different at all. They're the with, same. With except. Marstella,
1: except. And and they are Kennenwolf.
0: the same. They are. Well, Canon no. Wolf is slightly different. Exactly. But, the, but they, yeah. But, but the point, Donna, is this: come back to the clients, who after all pay the bills. We don't pay the bills. They want the, This is the core The core issue. They want the best people working on their business. So if, if I can orchestrate 20,000 people, is one thing. If I can orchestrate 200,000 people, it's a different thing. So, so we look, so we, everybody in this room fights for their brand. The clients don't think it. Just, just remember what I said, P&G turns around, the, 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 the head of North America Home Care, I think it is at P&G, turns around and says, I want Omnicom, Publicis, and WPP to work together in New York and Cincinnati. Renault tur- turns around and says, I want Omnicom and Publicis to work together for the benefit of Renault-Nissan. It's The world has changed. And years ago, our own tribes were as important to our clients as us, no longer. It's very different, and I think that's the fundamental thing. So, so you know, when you, it's like the trade press describes Burson and Kona Wolf get together as a, it's like a merger of two foreign entities. It's part of the same frigging group. When Y&R and VML get together, you know, there's this discussion about you know who's top of the heap. They are part of the same frigging group. It's the same company. It's not. Every too... country is part of the
1: same world. Should we all uh, merge well, together?
0: Uh, well, in, in, the, the crisis EU, crisis. the EU is a, it's a good example, a good little macrocosm, not microcosm, of exactly the issue. Will Britain be better off? It's an interesting comparison. Will be Britain be better off on its own, or as part of? An amalgamation. Okay. We'll see. Well, nothing they're all but
1: they're separate. Though there's are part of WPP. We're part no. of WPP, but we're separate and we work together. Okay. So yes. Not... I'm. I'm going to. I'm going to cut off everybody else. <laughs> just quickly say. <laughs> Will you disagree, Mark? Nothing that I have seen in the history of mergers in PR leads me to believe that it's easier to merge two firms who are part of the same holding company than it is to merge two completely no, alien I'm, firms. I'm... I go back to Hill and Alton Carl Beyer, which I think was a disaster. Yeah, it wasn't even a merger actually. It was a it was it was
0: Carl was on its last legs at yeah. the time. I mean it was it was a an, a, an but, attempted but act, Bob Dylan act of resuscitation. No, attempted act of resuscitation. Um, it wasn't it wasn't actually a merger. So, yeah. I think that's a bad example of it. You know, the, a more pertinent example would be a Burson, Conan Wolf which is bigger scale. Okay? You know, but you got you've got uh, David taking over Goliath. Yes. Or the right. female, the female okay. equivalent of David.
1: I have, um, I have about a third of my questions unanswered. I suspect you have about a third. Thank of goodness your questions for that. God unanswered. knows what else he had. Next time it. we bring Martin here, Thank we'll do a ninety-minute conversation. Thank you. Thank, Thank, you man. Man. Thank, Thank you so much, you.
0: Martin. You. You've been listening to the Echo Chamber. Brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by Marketeers.